This is Asian Insider, and I'm Nirmal Ghosh. Now, one of the features of the Donald Trump administration is a historic redefinition of the United States' relationship with China, a fundamental shift from, as the administration puts it, cooperation to competition. There is a bipartisan sense in Washington, in D.C., that China has taken more than it has given, or even that the U.S. all these years has been had by China, so to speak. This shift is a significant element of what we see, a reordering of the global balance of power and the multilateral rules-based order. I have on the line today from Singapore, Ambassador Kishore Mabubani, a former Singapore ambassador to the U.N., a distinguished fellow at the Asia Research Institute at NUS, National University of Singapore, and I should add, a provocative public intellectual. And from DC, I'm joined by Dr. Satu Lime, Vice President and Director of the East-West Center in Washington. I should say I'm a proud alumnus of the East-West Center. I was a Jefferson Fellow in 2015. It was very rewarding. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time today. Good evening to you and good morning to you. So Ambassador Kishore, you have this new book out titled, provocatively as usual, has China won? And you make the point, well, one of the points you make is that few Americans consider what it really means that China's share of the global economy is now greater than that of the US. And you say that in this competition, the biggest strategic mistake China could make is to underestimate the US. That is, it should not fall prey to hubris. I was wondering if you could uh, speak to that a bit. Well, I think, um... You're absolutely right that there is a strong bipartisan consensus uh, in Washington, D.C. against China. So the U.S.-China geopolitical contest has begun. But what is missing, of course, uh, in the American response to China is, as I said, uh, when I had lunch with Henry Kissinger, he told me that that the United States has made a mistake in launching a geopolitical contest against China without first working out a strategy. And that, of course, gives China an advantage. But at the same time, I also emphasize that it will be a big mistake for China to underestimate the United States as a society because it has been the strongest, uh, best-performing society for most of the 20th century. Uh, It's going through a bad phase now uh, in more ways than one, but the United States has always shown a remarkable capacity to recover. And so China should never underestimate uh, the power and capability of the United States. Right. So, Satu, Kishore also makes the point that the U.S. does not have a strategy to deal with China, unlike what it had, for example, vis-a-vis the Soviet Union. And this point has been made by others as well. Do you concur? And how would you assess the U.S.'s approach now, more tactical than strategic, perhaps? Well, first of all, good evening and congratulations, Ambassador, on the publication of your yet another very interesting book. Uh, it's always an occasion for us to think fresh and and new. Um, look, I, I think at least as I read the debate in my country, uh, we don't have, there are so many debates about China and these debates have intensified. Uh, we have not settled on a strategy and that's part of Uh, the very interesting context in which these discussions about who's doing better and what's the state of play is we have very mixed messages. Um, We have people in this country saying this is whole of society, even if there's a sort of bipartisan elite consensus on the growing challenges of China, this is not necessarily shared everywhere in American society. Uh, China has been a relatively modest subject of discussion so far uh, uh, until most last few days of the coronavirus 
in the uh, Democratic primary debates, uh, except insofar as trade was concerned. It certainly hasn't been central to those debates. In fact, we're debating the Middle East a lot more than we're debating China. So I think we're at uh, an inflection point about the path or crossroads we're going to take. And I don't think it is settled. And I, I don't particularly find compelling the analogy of we had a strategy for the Soviet Union. We evolved a strategy for the Soviet Union after fighting a war as an ally with the Soviet Union. And we are and and a very different relationship at that. Uh, no trade, no ch exchange of students, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we're this is a real tough challenge. What kind of strategy do you formulate for a uh, for a country like China? So, uh, Ambassador Kishore, one of the other points we make is that Americans view of themselves in the world is that America will inevitably win the geostrategic competition because the idea of America losing is inconceivable. And because of a set of assumptions, including that America is a fundamentally just and well-ordered society founded on the rule of law, yet allows freedom, the sheer creative and intellectual horsepower that America generates. But some of these assumptions should really be re-examined. You make that point. For one thing, the class stratified society that America has become, the wealth gap, means it is no longer fundamentally just. Could you speak to that a bit? Yes, uh, you know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the United States uh, has been the best performing society for most of the 20th century. But something has clearly gone fundamentally wrong in America, uh, especially in the last 30 years, because actually the United States is today the only major developed country where the average income of the bottom 50% Five zero percent has gone down over a 30-year period. And as two Princeton economists, Case and Deason, point out, this all this has resulted in a sea of despair among the white working classes, which explains the election of Trump and so on and so forth. So what I try to point out in my book are both the structural weaknesses uh, that have hit American society today as well as, the, by contrast, the structural strengths that China has. Because China is a civilization that was basically the best performing civilization in the world for 1800 out of the last 2000 years. Uh, since eight, from 1840 to 1949, it experienced a century of humiliation, as the Chinese call it. But now the Chinese civilization is bouncing back with tremendous vigor and strength. And in fact, in their response to COVID-19, you saw after the initial missteps how uh, very effectively uh, China took charge of the problem. So what you have today is not just a normal situation between United States and China. You have a situation in which United States is struggling against some major structural challenges while China is enjoying a kind of a, a, what I call a civilizational rejuvenation, uh, which is coming into play. And that's why I think Americans, uh, the uh, Americans, just as I said earlier, China should not underestimate America. It would be a fundamental mistake also for Americans to underestimate China. In fact, as I say in the book, uh, when I had my one-on-one -on -one lunch with Henry Kissinger, he also was trying to send the message, America better work out a long-term strategy before it starts this geopolitical competition against China. 
Um, Satsu, back to you for a moment, if I may. Now, Kishore makes the additional point that it would be unwise for Americans to underestimate the erosion of trust in America. This in the, is in the context of America's allies and so forth. A lot of people have written about this. Um, from your perch in academia, but within sight of the White House, what is your take on how America has conducted itself abroad under the Trump administration? Well, it, first of all, it's, it's always uh, difficult to pinpoint. I, I think the ambassador makes two really important points that neither should underestimate the other. And I, for one, in my perch, uh, don't see any underestimation on either side. Um, if anything, there are some people who would say we're overestimating China's strengths. Um, I think I'm sure there are debates within China. I, I wouldn't be privy to them uh, at high levels about exactly what they think is going on in the United States. Uh, we've heard these debates about U.S. weakness before. Uh, I've been around long enough to remember, you know, the 60s and 70s when people thought the U.S. was going astray. After the Cold War, we were going astray. I mean, at different junctures. I think the real key here is we have serious challenges in the United States. Uh, they are real, uh, they're not inconsequential. But I must say that from the vantage point of, of sort of comparative, uh, I would choose America's problems over anyone else's problems. Um, the fundamental structural challenges to China are also enormous. And just as the strengths shouldn't be underestimated, nor should the problems. Uh, this is a very narrow regime. It is um, a very uh, authoritarian regime. Uh, the economic uh, impulses and trajectories are certainly positive. It's achieved enormous things in poverty reduction, etc. On the other hand, there are questions about the future and there as in all countries. And I think we see that in material ways in which Chinese react to the situation. People if they can't vote in other ways, sometimes vote with their feet, family, and finances. And you know, there there's empirical evidence that Chinese citizens, when they can, park their family, their feet, and their finances elsewhere. And so we don't see that in the United States. We see some challenges that are being adjudicated through the democratic process. So we have some work to do. China has some work to do. And we're gonna have to work very hard to craft a relationship that that is uh, mutually beneficial and that is also uh, does not uh, bring out the worst instincts on both sides. Interesting. Uh, Ambassador, well, any thoughts on that? Okay, to respond? Well, uh, you know, um, by the way, I should emphasize I'm no longer an ambassador. <laughs> I, I'm an academic now. Uh, the, um, I agree with uh, my good friend Satu that uh, if, you, if America was a vibrant, dynamic democracy uh, competing against a sclerotic communist party system, then the dynamic democracy will win. But as you know, one of the most provocative lines that I have in my book is that the current contest is not within a dynamic democracy and a sclerotic communist party system. The current competition is between a plutocracy, where you have a government basically not of the people, by the people, for the people, it's a government of the people, by the rich, for the rich. And, and that, I, give, I give tons of evidence in the book to document this. And by contrast, China has become a meritocracy, 
And indeed, if you look at uh, uh, quality of governance in the world or quality of mind of people in the government, it's very hard to beat the Chinese meritocratic system. And they have had a remarkable selection. So in many areas of public policy, like, you know, environment, health, education, you name it, you find that the Chinese policymakers are the ones coming up with creative, interesting, innovative solutions uh, to this problem. But Tatu also made a very important point that people vote with their feet. And I agree with him that it's how they vote with their feet that matters. And this is what is remarkable about China today is that uh, out of 1.3 billion people in China, 134 million Chinese leave China freely every year as tourists. And guess what? 134 million Chinese come back to China freely. So clearly there has been an explosion, not of political freedoms in China, but of personal freedoms in China, which explains why the government enjoys uh, remarkable support. And if you look at a Pew uh, International Survey, it shows you that in the United States, 39% of the population trusts the government. In China, is 90%. So that's the, these are the sort of uh, fundamental differences that you cannot ignore. So it's not a simple black and white picture or black against white. It's a very complex picture where both societies have their strengths and weaknesses. Right. So your book, I'll stay with you for a moment, uh, Kishore. Your book ends with what you say is a paradoxical conclusion. A major geopolitical contest between America and China is both inevitable and avoidable. Now, that sounds very clever, but it also sounds like you're trying to have it both ways. So can, can you, could you explain that? Well, I, I, I genuinely believe that there is absolutely no reason to have this geopolitical contest. Because as I say at the end, if the primary goal of the American government is and should be to improve the well-being of the 330 million American people, it should focus on that. That's much more important than maintaining its primacy uh, in the global system. And, and if it wants to improve the well-being of the American people, it should work with China and the rest of the world uh, to achieve this. So my goal at the end of the day is to help America uh, achieve its goals of creating a better society for its peoples. Because America has got some very serious internal structural challenges. It should focus on that and not get involved in an unnecessary geopolitical contest. Because at the end of the day, whether China succeeds or fails will be determined not by what America does to it, but by what happens internally within Chinese society. And I completely agree with Satu that there are serious structural issues that China has to deal with. And let's see how China uh, deals with them. But there's no point getting involved in a major geopolitical contest, which will undermine the American people and undermine the Chinese people. And more importantly, undermine the 6 billion people who live outside United States and China, who will also be adversely affected by this geopolitical contest. So my goal in this book is to avoid this contest. Satu, you're in my town, so I'll give you the last word. Any quick last word <laughs> okay. from you? That's very generous. Um, you know, I, I don't want to go back to the... Um, uh, the um, the characterizations of our two societies. I mean, I, it, there's no question that income inequality is a problem in the United States. It's a political problem, social problem, economic problem. Um, 
and I, you know, there, there's a kind of meritocracy, I suppose, in China, but it is an authoritarian meritocracy ba based on a certain, uh, you know, a party affiliation and abiding by that. So, but that's not the real issue. I think where, as always, the good ambassador make and professor make such a useful contribution is to this debate about the contest. And as I've written and said before, I think there are four contests going on. One is about the balance of power. One is about the balance of relations. How are China and the US balancing relations? And thirdly, there's a, a, a balance about norms, institutions, and values. And there's finally a, a, a contest about narratives. Whose narrative is gonna win? Uh, Authoritarian-led development, liberal democratic, or I mean, however you wanna phrase it. This contest is inevitable. It's real, it's serious, it won't go away. It did need not be conflictual. That is to say, it need not be kinetic. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, that thinking through this management of this relationship at the highest levels in both places uh, is very important, but so too will, I mean, we should not forget these are not the only two actors. Um, we live in a world where Japan, Vietnam, India, Australia, Singapore, uh, the European Union, uh, Brazil, Venezuela, there are going to be many players here that gonna, are going to affect where they are in this contestation across these four spectra. And I think that the, the story is just now starting and coronavirus throws a big wrench into how this will be adjudicated, at least in the near term. So we will have to fasten our seatbelts, get a copy of Has China Won, and um, put our thinking caps on and, and go forward. Dr. Satule May, Professor Kishore Mehbubani, thank you very much indeed for your time. Fascinating conversation. I suspect in many more Asian insiders to come, we'll be looking at this US-China relationship, the defining geostrategic competition of our time. For Asian Insider, I'm Nirmal Ghosh. <laughs>